Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Had a great time, uh, hopefully, with uh, an opportunity to gather together with some friends or family. Hopefully, you had an opportunity maybe to uh, be with some people that you love and enjoy spending time with. Uh, Maybe you had an opportunity at least to uh, get some good food, uh, have some time off from work. But I hope, more than anything, you had some time that you were able to set aside really for the purpose of the day, for giving thanks. Uh, It's interesting, you know, that probably many things have changed since the inception of Thanksgiving or since the beginning in this country of our celebration of Thanksgiving. Now, you probably know some of this history, maybe all of this history, but let me just, we'll give a little brief snapshot of some of the history of Thanksgiving. Uh, You recall this dates back to 1621 in this country. Uh, 1620, a group of separatist pilgrims were making their way across the Atlantic Ocean, ended up landing in what is now known as Plymouth Bay, Massachusetts. And as they arrived, uh, they were here seeking refuge from what they had experienced to be persecution for their faith. And so they were seeking a place of refuge where they could worship God freely. And in preparation for their arrival here, these people actually took the time to put in writing their purpose of their coming and making clear why it is that they were coming and a plan for how they would be governed. We know that as the Mayflower Compact, it was signed on uh, November the 11th of 1620 before they reached shore. But in their purpose statement of their uh, compact, these people agreed together that we are coming here for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. Now, there are other people who came to this country for other purposes, I realize that, but part of our heritage, and some people would kind of squash this, but part of our heritage certainly is this narrative of individuals of faith who came here believing by providence of God that they were coming here for God's glory and to advance the gospel. Well, that's what these people ended up committed, signing, and putting in writing before they arrived. Now, they arrived in November, so it was nearing winter. They survived, many survived a harsh winter. Some survived a harsh winter. Of 103 people that arrived at that time, 51 of them died during that winter. 52 remained. And as they continued to prepare for the spring and the summer for their harvest, uh, later as the crops were harvested that fall, Governor Bradford called for a day to be set aside for Thanksgiving and prayer recognizing that it was important for them to acknowledge that their bounty, that their supply had come from God's hand and he had cared for them. Well, again, many things have changed since that time and how we celebrate Thanksgiving. It wouldn't be until actually, ironically, the middle of 1863 when President Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the Civil War, would declare this as a national or a federal holiday. And so we've celebrated this annually since that time as a day of Thanksgiving and, and prayer. Now, today, for many people, Thanksgiving ends up being a reminder that there's football, there are parades, and there's Black Friday shopping day, okay? And now we keep adding different days beyond that all the way to Giving Tuesday of this week. I think we have Cyber Monday tomorrow, and there was something Saturday, Small Business Saturday, I think. We have all kinds of things going on that we've attached to this. Well, regardless of all the things that we've attached to this, it is a reminder to us, hands down, we are a blessed people. We're a blessed nation. And as such, that question does not remain, but the question that does remain is, are we thankful? We're blessed, but are we thankful? And if we are thankful, to whom are we thankful? And also, how do we express that thanks uh, in this time, in this season? And so I I want us to be reminded as we uh, look at this message today, this is the third in a series and the last in this series of uh, messages called Gratitude. The pastor started this a couple of weeks ago of helping us 
understand our need to express and, and to uh, be characterized by this characteristic of gratitude in our lives. As we looked at 1 Samuel 1, looking at the life of Hannah and her desire for a child, God's blessing her with Samuel and her response, her expression of gratitude was that she gave the child Samuel back to the Lord um, to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. It was a great gift. Last week, the pastor reminded us that gratitude was also um, prompted uh, by our recognition of God's fresh mercy that is available to us day after day after day. Lamentations 3 says that morning by morning, your mercies are new, O Lord, and a reminder of why we are thankful for the mercy of God. So today, I want us to recognize as we come to the table, to the Lord's table, that our truest uh, need for expressing gratitude is for God's great salvation. And so I want us to see this as gratitude going public. It really is. How is it that we express gratitude both personally and publicly? And our text today, I believe, gives us at least three steps that we can take in that process of expressing our gratitude both personally and publicly. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning with verse 11, and I'll read through verse 19. I'd like for you to follow along. And uh, I'll go ahead and give you my sermon outline. It is get up, get out, and get back. So you can just see if you can figure out where those things are. Get up, get out, and get back. Verse 11 says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is an amazing story that takes place near the end of the physical life of Jesus here on earth. And it's, it's a unique story in the sense that it is a group miracle. We don't have these in other places in Scripture, but here we find a miracle taking place for an entire group of people. There were 10 here, and the Bible says that they were all healed. So I want to be sure we start this story with just the setting. The Bible begins, or uh, Luke, as he's writing this, begins by saying, as he was making his way to Jerusalem. Now, that's not just a little uh, extra note or because he needed more words in his word count. Uh, this is an important fact. As a matter of fact, Luke makes this point throughout much of the gospel, of, of his uh, gospel of, of story. Uh, we find that Jesus was intentional about where he was going. And he was on his way to Jerusalem because he was a man on a mission. Jesus was very clear on a number of occasions in teaching his disciples and speaking to crowds about his mission. In chapter 4 of Luke, verse 18, Jesus said that he had, had come. He's reading from the book of Isaiah and he applies this to himself. But he said he came to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke 19 records that Jesus said he came here on a mission to seek and to save those who were lost. Other places, Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus understood that in order for that all to happen, it would happen in Jerusalem. In Luke 9 is the first place we find Jesus telling his disciples, we're heading to Jerusalem. We've got this ultimate destination. 
He said, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, and there he will suffer many things. He will be rejected by the chief priests and the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and scribes. He will be killed, and on the third day he will rise again. Now, Jesus already told them this way back in chapter 9. And now we see again in chapter 17, and Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. Jesus was a man on a mission. He came to rescue me and you. He saw our need. He recognized our sin. He recognized that there would be the need for one who was without sin. The Bible says of Jesus that he was the one who knew no sin, and he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus came on a mission to be able to set us free, to give us life, eternal life. What a gift. This passage tells us that not only was he on his way to Jerusalem, but then that he was in this region between Samaria and Galilee. He was on the border. He was north of Jerusalem, making his way south. But it's in this area that he has this encounter. And you remember that the Samaritans, or the area of Samaria, uh, was a place that many Jewish people avoided. As a matter of fact, they would go across the Jordan River, go around and go up in order to avoid going through Samaria. They had this dislike for Samaritans. They saw them as unclean people. They saw them as second-class citizens. They saw them basically as half-breeds because they had, uh, they had married outside of their faith and outside of their culture. So there was this rejection of them, and they really saw them as unfit for God's kingdom in any way. And, and so Jesus uh, is traveling, and he's traveling along the area of Galilee and Samaria, and he meets these people. The Bible says that there are 10 of them, and they, these 10 men were lepers. Now, most of us are aware that leprosy is a skin disease and that it involves infection of the skin. That's true. But let me paint a little different picture for you, baby, that you might or might not be aware of. But this, this was a debilitating diagnosis. This was a horrible disease. Because to have leprosy was to be sentenced to live outside of the camp, outside of the community, to live in a colony with other people who had this same malady and who suffered in the same way. This would begin with a spot on the skin or, or a sore or a, a scaly area that would become uh, of concern for the individual. This was such an issue that the uh, book of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 both addressed this entire issue of what to do with a leper in the camp. The leper would have to, or the person with the skin problem would have to go to the priest and he would have him look at it. He would assess that and he would typically quarantine this individual for a period of time to determine if this was getting better or if this was spreading and the disease was getting worse. To avoid contamination with other people, they were kept separate from the rest of the population. It was not a good thing. Leprosy would affect the nerve endings, and they would lose feelings in their fingers and their hands, lose feelings in their toes and feet. Their face would often become affected by the, the sores and the, the skin disorder and would be disfigured. There would be really a, a smell, an attachment of an odor to this because of decaying flesh. It was a horrible situation that a person faced once they found that they had leprosy. Many of them would end up losing toes, fingers, hands or feet because of other injuries. They would be cut, get infected, have all kinds of crisis related to this. It was a bad thing for them to discover that they were lepers. The Bible says that they stood afar off, and that's because in this process, Leviticus 13 and 14 prescribed that they would have to keep a distance. It says that they were to take their hand and cover their mustache. They would put their hand on their top lip, and they would say, unclean, unclean, as other people approached them to warn them that they were infected with this disorder, this disease. 
as these men were standing far off, they found themselves in this situation where they're affected by this terrible disease. They're no longer going to be able to be with their families. They're no longer going to be able to be at their workplaces. They are now going to have to be set aside from everyone else. And it's here that Jesus meets these men and they see him and they do something that I believe is the first of three steps that each one of us need to take if we're going to uh, have a life that's marked by gratitude. And the first thing that these guys do is that they get up. They get up and do something. Look at the verses that follow. Uh, verse 13, the Bible says, and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What is it that these men did, they came together and decided that they needed to stand up and get the attention of Jesus. They needed to cry out to Jesus somehow and be noticed because likely they had heard that Jesus had performed miracles. They had heard stories of how Jesus had made a difference in the lives of some. Maybe they heard where there was one who was blind and Jesus gave him sight, one that was blind even from birth. Maybe they had heard stories about how there had been those who were lame and Jesus healed them and they now walked again. And these men did not want to miss the opportunity that might be theirs. This one shred of hope that maybe they would not have to live the rest of their existence banished from the rest of the community because of disease and because they were unclean. And so they dared bring their voices together and cry out to Jesus, probably for a reason, one of the reasons is because leprosy would also affect the vocal cords of an individual and would allow them to, to sound very hoarse or raspy uh, and not be able to speak with a loud voice. Maybe one of them alone could not have stood up and gotten Jesus' attention that he would have noticed. But together, they combined their voices and they cried out to Jesus for help. Said Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, it's an amazing thing that they had the wisdom to understand that they needed to ask for mercy because Jesus is in the business of giving mercy to those who call upon him for that. They asked for mercy. They did not ask for justice. You know that some people spend a great portion of their life going through their lives seeking justice for some wrong that has been done to them or a perceived wrong that has, they've experienced in their life. We must be reminded from Scripture that Justice belongs to the Lord. Paul writes in Romans that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. There is coming a day that God will set the record straight. God will make all things right. But until then, we need to be busy about the business of helping justice occur, yes. But to cry out for justice is problematic for us. Because to cry out for justice to be brought to us means that we must also come to grips with the injustices that we have done to others. You see, the Bible affirms that every one of us, not just some of us, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned and my sin has caused harm for other people. And so if I'm wanting someone else to have to pay for their sin, I also need to be willing to pay for my own. And it's a price that I can't pay because the payment price for sin is death. These men cried out not for justice, but they cried out for mercy. But pity the man who can't see his own sin. It's a sad thing. Jesus told a story about two men who struggled with this issue. One of the two struggled with this issue. And it's in the next chapter, Luke 18. He tells a story of two men who went up into the temple. And it's a Thanksgiving prayer. And we would tend to think that's a good thing. This man went into the temple, Jesus said, and he said, thank you, God. 
If he had stopped there, it would have been a good thing, but he didn't. What did this man pray? He said, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. I'm not like these extortioners, these adulterers, these unjust people, even this tax collector. God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Do you hear the pride, the arrogance in that prayer? And yet, it is a temptation for all of us. How many of us have walked by or driven by or been in circumstances and situations that I said, God, thank you that I'm not like that. Um, it is a wrong way for us to give thanks. Jesus said there was another man in the temple, though, that tax collector. And the Bible says that he raised his hand toward heaven and beat on his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God's in the business of extending mercy to those who recognize their need. And in this case, Jesus said he's the one who actually went away forgiven. These men cried out for mercy. It was the right thing to cry out for. They cried out for mercy, and it's exactly what they received. Not only did these men get up to do something, but they also got out. Look at the next verse, if you would. Verse 14 says, so when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. They got out. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. This is interesting because Jesus only told them to go to the priest for one reason. They knew that. They understood what he meant. You see, the priest had the authority to determine if someone was infected with leprosy. They also had the authority to determine that this person was now healed or was now clean. And the priest had the authority to give them the keys to go back into their community, back into their home, to give them the right to go back into the public life that they had known before. It was good news when Jesus said, go back to the priest. But likely there was more at stake here. It was not just that they were uh, being pronounced that they were going to be healed. It was also that this was a group. These 10 men coming together would have been quite the scene. Quite the scene as they arrived to be near the priest, to say to the priest, we need you to examine us, to look at us. We need you to declare us clean. It likely would have been more than one priest, and they would have been forced to acknowledge there's something about this Jesus. You see, the priest would have been confronted with, wow, how did this happen? How is it that this occurred that all 10 of these men who have been leprous for we don't know how long are now all healed? And they would have given testimony to the fact that it was Jesus that they called out to for mercy and he's the one who sent them back to the priest. And as they walked, as they began moving, what they discovered was their skin changed. Their healing had been given to them. This is consistent with how the rest of Scripture teaches that our faith works. Isn't it interesting that they didn't sit back and just wait and just look and look and look and wait until they were healed and then say, okay, now let's go? No, the Bible says that they turned and they began walking, and as they were going, they were healed. Our faith involves action, and we express our belief by the things that we do. And in this case, these men dared believe the word of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't touch them. He didn't kneel down and pray for them. Jesus simply spoke a word. He said, go and see the priest. All they had was his word, and they acted on it. Isn't that what faith is? Taking Jesus at his word. And that's what they did. They got up from where they were. They cried out to Jesus. And when he told them what to do, they got out of there and made their way to the priest. 
It is consistent with the rest of Scripture. I think about Joshua chapter 3, verse 13, that uh, describes the children of Israel who have already come out of Egypt as slaves. They've been in the desert for 40 years uh, because they had had one opportunity to go in and backed out and chose not to. Now they're at a second time about to cross the Jordan River. And if you look at verse 13 of, of um, Joshua chapter 3, the Bible says that when the, when the soles of the feet of the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant touch the water, then they would cross. You see the picture? The water didn't part for them in advance. They had to express faith when they were told and instructed to take the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead and step into the water. And as they stepped into the water, the Bible describes the water as stopping the flow and the people were able to go across the Jordan River. The word was given, the step of faith was taken, and the blessing followed. Same thing is true in the book of Malachi. We find this to be consistent there. The prophet Malachi says to the people, uh, he says, you have robbed God. And in their offense, they said, how have we robbed God? And he said, in your tithes and your offerings. He says, there is this portion that belongs to God and you've withheld that. And what does he say to them in verse 10? In Malachi 3.10, he says, look, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. And he said, now prove me Trust me, uh, try me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not then open the windows of heaven and pour out bounty or blessing so much that you cannot contain it. You see the order? The word was given, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Then when we give the tithe, said then the blessing follows that. It's consistent with Matthew chapter four, verse 19, when Jesus was calling the disciples, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee as he's walking along the shore, he says to these men who are in the boat mending the nets of their father's fishing business, he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus didn't wave a magic wand over them or something and turn them into fishers of men. He said, come, follow me. And the Bible says they dropped their nets, and immediately they followed after Jesus. When would they become fishers of men? After they took a step of faith and began following Jesus. What they discovered was as they followed Jesus, their hearts were transformed, their lives were changed. And now all of a sudden they loved the things that Jesus loved. They were passionate about the things that he was passionate about. And they cared about the things that were important to him. They had become not fishers of fish, but now they had been transformed into fishers of men. This is consistent with how faith works. These lepers were told, go show yourselves to the priest. They took a step of faith and all of a sudden there began to be a transformation on their skin. Perhaps one looked at the other and said, your face, it's all, it's clean. Everything is good. And maybe one looked at his hands and realized that the skin was coming back and it was fresh and it was new. Can you imagine the joy and the excitement that must have been there for these men? who were banished from the community and now all of a sudden find themselves completely healed from head to toe physically. What a miracle. What a group miracle. These men got up. We too must get up. You realize that it's important for us to recognize even sitting here that some of us may be uh, having sat here for a long time, uh, week after week after week, and recognizing that um, Jesus has an offer for us that he is near, that he is passing by, but we have allowed ourselves to just remain in place, to stay seated, maybe paralyzed by fear or paralyzed by doubt, and we've simply not gotten up to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Can I just tell you, Jesus is in the mercy-giving business. 
You're in need. You need to cry out to Jesus. But Jesus only gave them a word. What about us? Jesus gives us a word as well. And sometimes I'm fearful that we might be unlike these men who heard the word and just put it into practice. That we may look at it and say, well, Jesus, I'm not sure you really mean for me to love my enemies. I mean, some of these people are hard to love. Maybe you mean I should just wait here and think about it for a while. Maybe I should pray about this longer. No, Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who despise you and wrongfully use you. When we don't take action and don't do that, sometimes then we conclude this doesn't work. This, this faith thing doesn't work. This following Jesus thing doesn't work. But you see, faith means that when we receive a word from God, we need to take a step of faith and then we receive the blessing that is promised that's connected to that word. Not only did these men get up and get out, but they also got back. Would you look at the rest of the text? The Bible says in verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, he glorified God and he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. But Jesus asked a question. The next verse, Jesus answered him. He said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? It's a rhetorical question. Jesus knew how many were healed. He knew how many people there were, but he Asked this man, were there not 10? Kind of surprised that there was only one that returned. Jesus asked about the 10. Then he asked about the nine. Where are they? Do you remember where these people were when they first met Jesus? They were far off. Now there's one who has returned. He not only got up, got out, but he got back. He got back to Jesus. But Jesus made note that these others did not get back to him. Those that were originally far off from Jesus are now farther away than they ever were. They have gone on. They got back, but they got back to their home. They got back to their work. They got back to their job. They got back to their friends. But before we are too rough on these nine, we must take a look in the mirror and ask ourselves, which of us has not found ourselves in a difficult situation, in a predicament, in a crisis, and we cried out, God, I need you to help me. God, I, I need you to come through for me. If you don't come through, I'm in a mess. And when God does come through, how many of us have found ourselves making a deal with God, bargaining with God, and then maybe saying, thanks, I appreciate that, and then moving on with our lives and going back the way we were? The Bible says this one was different. This one was significantly different. But the nine remind us that there is great danger in being forgetful. Now, I discover as I'm getting older that I'm a little more forgetful. There are things I, I intend to remember. I mean to remember them, but I somehow forget them. But being forgetful can be dangerous. And these men really had received the physical healing that Jesus had offered them but now they've moved on with their lives. They forgot to stop long enough to give thanks and to go back. <clears throat> Moses warned the children of Israel about this same danger. And Deuteronomy chapter eight is a fascinating passage of scripture. I encourage you to read it today. Deuteronomy eight, he cautions the children of Israel as they're coming out or they're already out of the uh, slavery 
And as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he challenges them and cautions them about the danger of their prosperity. He says that when you get into the land and you become prosperous, you're going to be tempted to say, look at all of this that I have done. Look at all of this that the work of my hands has produced. In chapter 8, verse 18 of Deuteronomy, God says, reminds Moses to remind the people, it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to obtain wealth. You recognize even when we're tempted to look at our own stuff and our own trappings of our possessions around us that we sometimes think to look at what I've done. This is amazing what I've built here. This is just incredible. Even forgetting that it is God who gives you the health, the ability, the mind, the skill, the knowledge to be able to do the stuff that you've done. Moses recognized it would be a great temptation for his people. These nine represent that force as well. The writer of Proverbs chapter 30 has a similar expression when he prays, Lord, don't give me too much food or too little food, but give me the food that is my portion, lest I forget. And in forgetting, I profane the name of the Lord my God. You see, it is important for us to be able to remember. And this one did remember. So what did he do? Well, the one made his way back and he had a significant moment with Jesus that the other nine missed. And the Bible says that in verse 15, when one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice, he glorified God. And do you remember what I said about the vocal cords? This was an expression even of the healing because as leprosy would affect these vocal cords and allow them to not be able to speak loudly, the Bible says that this man couldn't contain the enthusiasm and the excitement of what has taken place for him. And all of a sudden, the healing, even in his voice, had taken place, and he has a loud voice with which he is able to glorify God. It's a great Greek word, and you know it. In the Greek, it reads megaphone. It's megaphone. We use the word megaphone. It is a great voice, a big voice, a loud voice that he prays God in this way. Now, some of us might have been uncomfortable with that. Some of us might have been saying to someone who's jumping up and down excited, shh, 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 you're being too loud, okay? But he says that this man could not contain that. And he praised God, glorified God with a loud voice. It is a right thing for us, even an expected thing for us, when we gather back together to use part of our time together to bring glory to God through the expressions of vocal praise. It is a wonderful thing. It is a God-given gift. This man glorified God with a loud voice. Then he fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus. Do you remember where this man was a few minutes ago? He was far off. This man with his leprous sores and with the odor that's associated with all of this disease was far away because he was unclean. And now this man finds himself kneeling down at the feet of Jesus. He's been brought near. Once far away, now brought near by Christ. What is he doing? The Bible says that he gave him thanks. Greek word for that, Eucharisteo. We understand it as the Eucharist. Uh, the church, the historical church has called this table, this gathering, the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. What does Eucharisteo mean? It means thanksgiving. It's the holiday that we celebrate, pausing to stop to give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. It was this word that, this, that it describes what this man did. He gave thanks. 
as we, we look at what this man did as he bows down and kneels down in front of Jesus, he is expressing to him the heartfelt gratitude for everything that has been done for him. And how Jesus has now all of a sudden brought about this change in his life. And then the writer notes that he was a Samaritan. Again, not just a parenthetical expression here, but a reminder that the point of the story, this was the one that many of the Jewish people would have seen as unclean, unfit, not right for the kingdom. And yet this one out of the 10 happened to be a Samaritan. And he's the one who returned and got back to give thanks to God. Recognize that this passage of Scripture reminds us there are two ways that people can live their lives. This, I hope for you, maybe it's worth writing down for you, but these two ways. We can either live our life believing that we deserve everything and that we owe nothing to anyone. Or we can live our lives believing that we owe everything and we deserve nothing. One's a picture of humility, one's a picture of pride. I'm guessing that these nine who went on with their life, maybe they were thinking that, hey, I've been blessed. This is great. I've been healed physically. And maybe there are some more blessings out here for me. And they were maybe expecting that there were other blessings coming their way. It's a different thing for us to live life from the perspective of recognizing our need for a Savior and our recognizing that what we deserve what we deserve is not the same thing that we always get. I have to ask myself at times when I take stock of my own life, I think about my family or my home or my education or my health. Do I deserve all of these things? I have to conclude that I don't deserve any of these things. The Bible describes me as one whose sin has impacted my life substantially, and I have a debt that I owe now, fortunately, Jesus came on this rescue mission to pay that debt for me. But do I deserve those things? No, I have those things by the grace of God. But why? I believe the rest of the passage helps answer that question for us. Jesus says, <clears throat> were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? I believe we have to conclude when we assess the blessings in our life, why are we blessed? To glorify God. God has blessed us, given us whatever blessings he has entrusted to us so that we might use them in turn to point to him. Not to say, look at all this good stuff I've done for myself, but to say, look at what God has done and to give glory to him. Second reason we find in the last verse of this text, and he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Your text may say your faith has saved you. It's because the word that's used there is the word for salvation. What we discover in this text is that this man came, to, came back to Christ and his life was transformed. He was changed. Jesus didn't say, stay here with me now forever. No, Jesus said, go on your way. Now this man's being sent as a man on mission, as an ambassador, as one who would represent the Lord and one who would help others know that it's possible when you've been far from God to be brought near by the blood of Christ. And he would be one that would be a megaphone for Jesus that would go forth and would proclaim this message. It's a dangerous thing to forget. To forget what God has done. So Jesus gave us a way to remember. Jesus gave us the Eucharist. A reminder that we need to be thankful. And a reminder of how much that we have for which to thank him. 
So today, as we come to the table, it is our opportunity to reflect on and remember where we once were apart from Christ. And to recognize that if our lives are to be filled with gratitude, with this Eucharist, with this thanksgiving, it is because we remember our need, our sin, our stench that separated us from God. And to remember that Christ alone gave his life, shed his blood on the cross, came back to life three days later so that we might embrace him and live. Even giving him only what we had, our sin, he would give us life. It is the grace of God. And it causes us to express gratitude. So today I encourage you to be the one who returns back to the feet of Jesus. Once far away, brought near to give thanks for what he has done for you. As we come to the table today, I'm going to ask you in just a moment as the elements are distributed to take some time to reflect on where you once were. As you see, if we're not near, it doesn't matter how far away we are. If we are far away, we are separated from God in Christ. If you've never called on him for mercy today, I encourage you, I invite you. That's your first step. Cry out to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness of sin. But if you do know Christ, I want to encourage you to reflect on where you were and where it is that God has now brought you. How it is that he has changed and transformed your life that you might be his megaphone for his glory. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, what a blessing that we might be invited to this table. Not because of anything we've done, not because of what we deserve, but because of your great mercy and because of the grace of God shown in Christ. Father, I pray that even now you would allow us to take a moment of reflection to God, just examine our own hearts. God, that we would call out to you and allow you to um, forgive sin that stands in the way. And God, that you would allow us to see ourselves as you see us, that we might express to you our heartfelt gratitude. God, kneeling at your feet, would you allow us to see Allow us to see, God, where it is that you want us to go and how it is that you would use us as your voice to proclaim hope to those who are far, letting them know that they may be wrought near. For it's in the name of Jesus.
my chest and I'm coming 